Hello and welcome to Newspeak, New Culture Forum's look at the weekly news agenda. I am delighted to be, as usual, joined by Rafe Hadelmanku, our senior fellow and historian and world commentator, and Amy Gallagher, who is the woman behind Stand Up to Woke uh, and campaigner. And thank you very much for coming. But before we talk about the week's events, just one announcement. It's to do with our locals program. As you know, uh, this has been going great guns over the past year. And we're starting off this year as we mean to go on. There are two dates, actually, which I wanted to give you notice of. Um, the first one is in Brighton. We're going to be starting a group in Brighton that will be on January the 31st, which is a Wednesday. January the 31st, a Wednesday in Brighton. If you're interested in that, then please do get in touch. I'll tell you the address in a minute. And then the second one is in Wellingborough, which is a bit topical at the moment because uh, that is where they're having a by-election. That will be on February the 6th. February the 6th, which was actually the date of the late Queen's accession to the throne. Uh, 6th of February. So there are two dates there. If you are interested in either of them, if you're in Brighton or Wellingborough, uh, do get in touch. The best thing to do is to go to locals at newcultureforum.org.uk as usual. And then what happens is we send you details um, uh, of venue and time. Okay. I uh, hope to see you at one or other of those. Um, well, it's been, uh, you know, quite a busy week, actually, on the, on the news front in all sorts of different ways. But I wanted to start, first of all, and Amy, stop with, um, really, that we've had this, well, what seems to be yet another report mm -hmm. on grooming gangs or rape gangs, as many people would prefer to call them, um, which uh, came out uh, basically about uh, the um, situation in Rochdale specifically. Um, what is the official response being to this particular report? Yeah, so this report was commissioned to look at grooming gangs between, I think, about 2003 to 2013. It was commissioned in response to the BBC drama about, oh, um, yes. yeah, about yeah. the grooming gangs, which is something Three rather, girls, it was yeah, called, rather yes. depressing in itself that it takes a BBC. It seems to be the way of politics works now. You mm. only get anything looked at if you have a BBC drama about it. Um, but it, I mean, the kind of the outcome of this report is essentially nothing nothing new and it just shows that hundreds of girls were let down um hundreds of girls were being raped regularly sexually abused regularly by mainly pakistani and afghan rape gangs um and some of the kind of some of the individual stories coming out that are being highlighted are just it's difficult to read yes it's actually yes. i feel i don't even want to say it on this yeah, show it's the kind yeah. of terrible things about 13-year-olds having having to have abortions, being being ignored, being told, being blamed for what they were experiencing, being told that they were part of the grooming, that whistleblowers like Maggie Oliver were largely ignored. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's just highlighting again how serious this, this issue is. Um, and, you know, it, it is still going on. And, and a lot of the, the perpetrators are still that they've served either small prison sentences or they've, they've now yeah. served the sentences and they're back in the community. Um, and yeah, it, it, it's just, for me, this is one of the most shocking uh, things in my lifetime, I think, that's happened in this country. I, I think to me, it's just, I still find it hard to read about more than anything. I it's, know there was one uh, case of a girl that was highlighted by the mail. Hmm. Actually, as you say, it's hard to say on air. Yes. 
There was some detail about a fetus being kept as a kind of souvenir yeah. or something. I mean, it's just incredible. The, the police um, were given loads of supporting evidence in order to convict, and, and they just they didn't take up the evidence or they ignored it. It was just... I mean, I, I think um, we, we talk about kind of systemic oppression or even systemic racism quite a lot. It's applied mm. to everything. And I'm very hesitant to use that term because it's often used uh, rather tenuously in, relates yeah. to, you know, in relation to stupid things like historic links to slavery or whatever. This was thousands of white working class mm, girls mm, mm. being picked on by Pakistani and Afghan mm. men because they were white. You know, there was an idea that they wouldn't do it to their own, mm. that they saw white girls as subhuman, mm. um, that they saw them as white trash and easy mm. meat and, and so on. And not only were they abused by because they were white, but the authorities ignored what was happening to them, mm. largely because in some, in some instances they were white and the perpetrators weren't. So to me, if this isn't, to me, this is the most serious, prolific and egregious example of systemic racism modern times yeah, that, that's how country. i see it yeah and yes. it's towards white working class girls and there was never any protest there was no you know we had a black lives matter movement in relation to the death of a, a criminal in america where was the where was the mm. protest mm. for these girls mm. it's it, it, it's the sheer um scale of it actually Rafe, isn't it it's like the rape of the, the rape of your daughters i mean it is like something biblical isn't it well, it's the greatest scandal of the 21st century. I mean, it's linked, obviously, to mass immigration, which is the biggest tragedy of the 21st century. This is the, the biggest scandal of the, of the 21st century. And it's not just an issue of the past. And too much of the coverage is treating this as a review into a past incident, past scandal, like the postmasters. That was something that happened. No, this is carrying on today. And the media don't address this issue. The politicians don't address the issue. It continues everywhere. And it's not just Rochdale. And yet, if you were to read the media, this would seem to be an isolated case, Oldham, Rochdale. This is going everywhere. Even, where, even in sort of peaceful, leafy Oxfordshire, this stuff is happening on a daily basis. And the fact that our media still, you get these momentary blips where, they get, where they, they get, it gets coverage and the politicians get animated and then suddenly it disappears again. But this is still festering below the surface. There's nothing new in this report at all. No one should be surprised by any of this. The details are shocking. As you say, the police kept a frozen fetus. Uh, we had a, a girl kept in a cage. We had a man who injected one of these women with heroin and she died from that heroin overdose. I mean, absolutely mm -hmm. appalling. And we shouldn't be afraid to talk about these things because this is the reality that's happening and people need to be awake and alert to what's going on. And you know, everything Amy said is absolutely spot on and there's not much I, I can add to it. Because this is, you know, racism is alive and thriving on our streets. You know, Pakistani, Afghan, Bangladeshi rape gangs are perpetrating this. Our police are perpetrating <coughs> this by, by refusing to investigate. Mm. Our social services are perpetuating racism by turning a blind eye to all of this. And our media and politicians are perpetrating racism by, by t trying mm. to cover it up, essentially. And the greatest tragedy of all, not, not tragedy, but the greatest, biggest scandal, I think, is that not a single person in authority has been held to account over all of this. No one from the police, no one from social services, or from Rochdale Council and Oldham Council, etc., have been charged. They should be losing their jobs, losing their pensions, and they should be in prison for this. Because, as, as, you know, as Amy said, just imagine if it was the other way around. Mm -hmm. There would be riots and mob violence mm -hmm. on the streets. There would be a well-resourced police task force 
and you would have you know the media and politicians screeching from the rooftops over this. No, it, 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 that's it, absolutely, isn't it? Uh, it? That it still is going on and and appears to be. I mean, people say, oh well, you know, we've had these reports now, and we've had a drama on television and all of that, but in fact. The actual situation has not really been. What would the actual, you know, proper conclusion of this be? You're saying prison, right? They're, obviously, these people have got to go to prison, uh, counselors or whatever, or police people or whatever it is. Um, and none of that has, has happened. Actually, uh, you alluded as well to it there, um, Amy. But there is a sense that these girls are actually chosen. You, you, they're called white trash and everything. Um, and I'm wondering as well, when you talk about the official response, whether in fact actually many of the people who should know better actually think of them as white trash. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I mean, I remember having a conversation and I cannot say who it's with, it was a few years ago, but it was someone who was quite eminent on, if you like, our side of the political uh, debate. And um, something like this was said, well, aren't they just little tarts? And I couldn't quite believe it. I mean, you know, when you actually have to keep your tongue, you know, um, and uh, do you think that that's been a part of it, that somehow or other that these people are considered to be so not wealth worth helping, you know, working class white girls? I think there is such a complete hatred of what the white working class I mean, white working class boys are being totally let down educationally and then white working class girls are being totally let down in terms of safeguarding mm, and safety. Mm. And nobody seems to care. It, it's mm. just, they're just totally forgotten. It's, 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 it's incredible. I mean, it took a long time to be able to just talk about this issue because of, of, of accusations of, of, of racism. I mean, now media are saying Asian grooming gangs. They were reluctant to even say that for a long time. It was just it was just sex abuse mm. scandal grooming, and of course, Asian is a very broad uh, term. It, it, it's half the world's population. Well, exactly. Yeah, the, the, no, as Maggie Oliver often points out, it's not Japanese men rape, raping young girls. It, it was specifically Pakistani and, and Muslims. Yeah, mm. and uh, you know uh, uh, this is tied to immigration. And uh, you know one of the main reasons that people voted for Brexit was immigration. And I think this story was the thing that switched everybody on to the dangers of immigration. Mm. I think I, I think a lot of people voted, maybe even unconsciously for Brexit because of this. I, I, think, I think it was underlying. It's part of the same yeah. thing, isn't it? It's part of the same kind of... Um, and it's the Red um, Wall, isn't it? It's the Red Wall. Yes, now. exactly. Um, but I should say, actually, we do know from, from, actually from the reports that the police turned a blind eye because these were council estate girls. I mean, they, well, even, they even said that. And social services said, well, what can we do about it? These are, you know, these are just girls that are going to get up to this sort of, that's the type of girl that they are. So that's exactly what, what, what was happening through yes. all of this. So yes, we do need to, you know, in terms of stopping what's going on today, if no one in authority is being disciplined for any of this, this will continue. Only if you have the most severe penalties for those people who have been found to be negligent or complicit in their attitude towards us over the past few years, only that will actually ensure that those people in, in power today will actually take a, a, a proper proper action on these sorts of things. Yeah. And you know, <clears throat> I don't know, personally, I'd like to see hard labour for you know for, mm. for, for, for these ca characters. You know, even judicial caning. You know, if they want to bring in foreign practices into our country, maybe it's time we adopted foreign practices in terms of discipline. I think uh, I'd like to see hard labour. For those people who jump onto Twitter and say, actually, 
vast majority of child abuse is carried out by white people. Mm-hmm. You get that now, you know. Mm-hmm. So it, it might actually, you know, statistically be true for, but what kind of mindset would yeah. it be that actually would sort of make that kind of remark? So that's know? the first thought that you go to when you're hearing about thousands of girls being raped, that you, you know, you're trying mm-hmm. to suddenly defend you know, these men, it, it's, it's incredible, yeah. And they're silly, because the white population is so much larger, right? It doesn't make sense. Yeah, it's not statistically, it doesn't make sense. Of course, of course, white men are, commit more crimes, but there's far more of them. But this, this particular subsection of men commit far more crimes than, than white people, and white there's men. A, and, there's a, and there's a deep, you know, I, I once looked into issues of um, sexual and antisocial behaviours in London police reports. <laughs> and what we found out was that, you know, for example, Black men were more likely to commit robberies and drug offences. Uh, white people were more likely to commit antisocial behaviour, drunkenness mm, mm. and arson. Um, Chinese and Japanese were more likely to commit white, white, uh, white collar crime. Yep. And, but within the South Asian community particularly, there's a problem with sexual offences. It's repression. Mm. You see it from these terrible rapes that happen, mm. not just in Pakistan, but also in India, where in girls terribly you know, murdered on buses in the most mm. horrific ways. I mean, there's a deep problem here with, se- with sexual um, relations and, and South Asians that people aren't actually brave enough to talk about. So there is a real problem with this demographic, particularly with the Muslim community. And this, Can you... Sorry. No, yeah, this is what's bringing about the rise in sexual abuse of, of girls and women. Um, and how this is being framed, usually by the left or Sadiq Khan or, or politicians, is is that you know it's it's an it's an issue of men, it, you know, toxic masculinity, yeah, yeah, yeah. which of course it's not all me- it's not all men. It's mm. a particular group mm. of men, and often when it's portrayed, um, it's it's white men, but it, it's it's not. Well, there was a famous case, wasn't there, when this originally came about in the early part of this century. Uh, one of these northern councils made a kind of public information film. Um, and it was to try to warn girls uh, about, um, you know, because obviously it was in the air already. And, uh, but of course, the guys in the cars coming to pick them up were white guys. You know, were white guys. I mean, totally and utterly wrong. And what's worse is they, they, they made two versions. The original version had Asian perpetrators and that was cancelled and they remade it with white people. <laughs> can I just, can you just speculate actually for a minute? Why is, it does appear... Uh, it does appear that this particular problem um, is peculiar to Britain. Um, I, as far as I know, if you think of the other problems that countries in Europe have with Muslim populations, for example, France we all know about and Sweden, why is it here that it takes the form, do you think, of grooming rape gangs? Or rather, should I say, why do they not appear to have it? It's a curious question which I've not actually thought about, but you're quite right. I wonder whether these are scandals that have yet to actually mm. hit the media. Maybe mm. it's just that we have, we're ahead of the curve in this, in terms of exposing this. Maybe because we've had these communities embedded for longer in, in, our, in our culture. I don't think um, we have, though. Not oh, the, well, only, uh, France, is, France is the only comparison to that. But apart from France, mm. I, I think we've had it embedded more than anywhere else. I think it's a very, very difficult one. But, but, but also, I think, I think also another, sorry, another reason for this may be that the Muslim population of... France is more North African Muslim, yes. rather than, and I think it's just, it's just that South Asian element, I think, which is the issue here. Yes. Yes, that, yeah, I think that as well. And perhaps we're just seen as more uh, soft, you know, the country mm. is seen by that particular group as being more soft than maybe other countries, I don't know. I'm wondering whether as well it's something to do with 
where immigrant populations have gone largely post-industrial towns here. So, for example, yeah. in uh, we tried, you know, looked into all of this in London, when, you know, a couple of years ago on the assembly, and fact is, it does appear that there isn't the same problem in London as you are getting in these other cities. I can only think that's because there's no longer a kind of the remnants of a white working class in London, actually. You know, yeah. possibly. Yeah. I mean, as opposed to Rochdale or Rotherham or and, and Manchester or wherever. Perhaps and the, yeah. No, sorry. Yeah, perhaps these particular areas, Rochdale, Oldham, are so deprived in a way that maybe Londoners don't realise mm. that these work, white working class, uh, they've just given up hope or, you know, there's, there's something that, that's happening in these towns where there is no sense of seems to be no sense of community or no yeah. certainly no relationship between the police and the working white working class that, that yeah. something has broken down seriously mm. in the mm. north and, and and as you say it's not just the north it is places like oxfordshire and so on but it does seem predominantly to be the the industrial towns mm. as you say that something is mm. awry and it may be the case that there's more ghettoization in france and in belgium than here mm. so there's less interaction between white yes. people and, and, and muslims yes Interestingly, actually, because uh, this week as well, Macron's has been making, well, for, for him, sort of right-wingish no noises, hasn't he? I think he did it, one of these, they have this in France, he had some huge live press conference that went on for most of the evening um, in, um, I think it was um, last night, actually. Uh, but in it, he was, he's obviously very frightened of the Marine Le Pen um, threat, which is largely based on French concerns, obviously, an utter rage about immigration. But he also went down the kind of route of talking about demographics and how France has basically got to have more kids. I mean, that's, that's what it amounted to. You can sort of do it via tax situation, or you can do it this way or that way, but that's what it amounts to. I find this kind of quite interesting, actually, now. You know, this is, a, this is something, let's say, new, well, it's rearing its head more in, in Europe now, isn't it, don't you find? It is, and France actually has the highest birth rate of, of any Western European nation, but it's not, isn't it it's, mostly? Not, it's not enough to replenish itself. But yes, who is, um, I mean, that, that's the issue when you have these, these policies of pronatalism, it's who actually is the one, are the ones who are going to be procreating more. Um, but it's, a, it's, a, it's such a European concept, pronatalism, which somehow just seems odd and bizarre for mm. an anglosphere nation to ever con there's something almost sort of communist about it you know in, in russia you would get the order of lenin if you had um, 10 babies and a pension for life and everything it's always been seen as a sort of a not a very democratic sort of concept but it's all tied in of course with this rise of, of le pen as you say and uh, i think he knows you know he's got 68 percent i think it is now unpopularity ratings and this is just you know as we see with richie sunak this is just an attempt to try to claw back territory from those who park the and park your tanks on the enemy's grounds whether we'll see anything from this and i don't know because i'm not very optimistic that emmanuel's going to win them the next election so he can promise what he wants to but it's sort of also it's, it's seen isn't it now it's sort of you know this kind of natalism it's seen as being as you said communist or a bit fascist you know this idea come on women have babies yeah. uh it seems to be i would say uh, I, hungary of course has done this and of course, they are considered beyond the pale, but they've had a very strong uh, um, program of encouragement for people to have bigger families. It's been, it's been slightly successful, apparently. It's not been a, an absolute, uh, you know, a, a, a huge turning point or anything. But, <coughs> excuse me. <clears throat> but the thing is, is, 
would women accept that even here, as you think? Yeah, I don't know. It seems to be a very... I mean, there are some politicians who are speaking out about it a bit more here. Miriam Cates, Danny Kruger, some of the new Conservatives oh, yes, that's, are yes, talking does, about birth yeah. rate in a way that we haven't really seen Conservatives do yeah. for a while. Um, but it, it's just sort of highlight... It's just words. I mean, it's highlighting the issue. And there is more discourse, I think, around relationships and marriage and, and children in a way that there wasn't before. But I don't... I don't know that that's going to have much difference. I mean, I think a lot of the issues as to why people aren't having families are, are economic. That there's, it's, mm. I, don't, I don't think it's that... I mean, I think there are some women that don't want to have children, but I, I, don't, think, I've, I don't think it's that the case that, that women don't want to have children or that they've somehow been propagandised to think that... A small subsection have, but I think most women still want to have families and have children. So you think, think it's, it's mostly economic? I think it's, yeah, it's difficult. It, it's, you know, you had to have a house and to raise a family now you probably both need to work and it's very difficult and it's... And space, space. where are you going to bring up these yeah. children? <laughs> um, I mean, one of the other things, of course, is it's cultural too. I mean, Japan, I would say Japan is about 20 years ahead of us in all sorts of things, technology, mm -hmm. all sorts of things, reality TV shows. You remember Clive James? We've now oh got that. Oh my goodness, yes. And so, yeah. and, and I think one of, the, one of the, if you look towards Japan, you have not quite incel, but you have these men who actually now have cyber girlfriends who are just these sort of AI creatures because they have no social skills. They don't know how to interact. Mm. There are, I think that there's a whopping percentage of the Japanese population under 40, at the age of 40 are still virgins, for example. No. That, yeah, really? a huge percentage. And in this country, <coughs> I think, you know, people under 20 or so in this country uh, mm. have never had less sex than they are having now, despite, mm. they might mm. think there are a few who are having much more sex thanks to the apps, but there are a huge portion who aren't actually interacting. So that's a much bigger problem. And a big, I mean, there's one plus side. We have the, the lowest teenage pregnancies ever on record, partly because of this, but that ties into the broader issue. Actually, this is, I always used to think this was a Western thing about the uh, demographic decline, but apparently, as you say, it's not. It's spread around the world, with the one exception of sub-Saharan Africa, where basically, we actually had a guy on here speaking, Edward Pace, wrote a book called Youthquake, where we don't even know what's going to hit us in terms of the sheer number of people uh, in sub-Saharan Africa uh, that are under 20 or whatever, under 30, just growing at exponential rates mm. but everywhere else in the world uh, it seems to be sort of in decline what is america situation in america isn't it about 2.1 or something like that i mean we are under replacement level aren't we yeah. britain we are we are under uh, everywhere in europe is under replacement level it's at um, least the worst i do know that it's only immigration is only thing that's keeping this country's the population burgeoning in this ponzi scheme that we have here so we're now at a level where you know america famously land of immigrants Britain has more people born abroad than America does, which is mind-blowing. <laughs> yes, exactly. What did you uh, make of this extraordinary, speaking of America, this extraordinary victory for Trump this week? Rafe? I say victory, you, you could maybe explain what the caucuses are, but, you know, it is... So, yes, we're, we're now in the process <coughs> of, of, of the Republican Party selecting who its candidate is going to be to run against Joe Biden in the next election. And um, we saw the most earth-shattering victory for uh, Donald Trump, who has shown clearly that um, he is unstoppable in terms mm. of becoming the Republican candidate. There's a narrow window whereby Nikki Haley, one of his opponents, former governor of South Carolina, might get, get in. But um, Iowa, I mean, he broke all records in terms of, of uh, his victory. 
And, you know, there are all sorts of reasons for that. I mean, one of the reasons is, of course, the majority of Republicans believe that, the, that, that he didn't lose the election. Because, you know, in American history, only one president, Grover Cleveland, had had two, has had two presidential terms, not in consecutive yeah, terms. Yeah. Um, that's because Americans tend to think if you've lost an election, you're a loser. We know how, mm. how much Donald Trump hates being a loser. But people don't regard him as a loser. They simply think that he's been unfairly treated and that he, so he's got this unique position where he is seen as the incumbent already, mm. <laughs> and that gives him an advantage. But he's also the change candidate. So he's got those two, he's uniquely able to ride these two completely different horses. And um, because he's also, of course, battling against the Biden factor, much as, you know, we had Boris Johnson, uh, you know, sweeping to victory because the enemy was Corbyn. Here again, Biden is so unpalatable. And uh, the, the issues that have become most preeminent under Biden's term in office are the economy and immigration. Those are Trump's two big issues. Yes. In a sense, of course, inflation is a global phenomenon. In a way, it's, Trump is lucky not to have been in office th th this term mm -hmm. because he would be battling with huge inflation anyway. It's unstoppable. So uh, I think he would be leaving office now with a tarnished reputation if he'd stayed there because of the economic uh, decline in America. But luckily, Biden's borne the brunt of that, which makes the path to victory for Trump even easier. Do you know, when you see the opposition to Trump amongst, the, if you like, the political class uh, here right, uh, and in America, I read something by Janet Daly, for example, in The Telegraph recently, and it was sort of almost along the lines of, well, you know, how do we prepare for this terrible catastrophe? It was a long... She's a conservative commentator, by the way. And I just sort of thought... Do you, do you really believe this or is it based or if you do, is it based entirely on a distaste for his character and his personality? Because when it comes to the actual ins and outs of what happened under Trump, it was actually a good presidency, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, you know? there, yeah, I think there was, I, I, I can't understand that kind of response now. I understood it on the lead up to Trump winning the, fir the first election because we didn't know what he would be like as a president. You know, people, you know, I, I still think people are hysterical, but yeah. there was an idea, you know, what if he's so chaotic that he, you know, pushes the nuclear button or yeah, does yeah. crazy things. And we saw that he didn't do any of that. He was actually, in terms of his policies, he was pretty good, you know, um, and he didn't do anything. He didn't start any wars. He just lowered taxes. He did, he, he was quite a good president. He said that his rhetoric was a bit over the place sometimes, but other than that, he was he was okay. Mm, mm. Um, so this time round, they're acting like they have no memory of, of you know, he didn't he didn't become a kind of a tyrant or do anything outrageous, mm, mm. but they seem to think that he still could, even though we've we've had an experience of him being a president and he wasn't the what they said he would be. They said, it, they said he was going to be if he were re-elected, disastrous for Europe, for example. Well, it's Project, it's project Fear all over again. Mm. We saw it with Brexit. We saw it, the, as Amy was saying, the first time that Trump was, was running for election, that we were, getting, we were electing you know, Beelzebub in America and people couldn't mm. understand it. But I think now, actually, not everyone who's saying it is, is being deliberately dishonest. I think they genuinely believe this again for some reason, um, why they would think that's the case. And, and, but the reality is all of the things that they're concerned about uh, the January the 6th insurrection, which I think was is greatly over-exaggerated, um, those don't actually concern the average voter. Mm, mm, and actually mm. most voters are actually have become numb to most of the issues which get the media and the, uh, and the establishment up in arms. Mm. And uh, he's actually, so I think whatever the ranting and ravings of people like Janet Daly and some conservatives like, Dr. like David Frum in America and so forth, 
the Republican Party is Trump's party, mm. and he's now winning over people who weren't in his 2016 demographic. So typically, uh, people who didn't go to university or from a lower income voted for Trump in 2016. This time around, it's not a sweeping huge uh, uh, victory over in terms of winning the vote of the university educated, but a large percentage of university educated and upper income brackets are now choosing Trump, which is a great turn up for the books. In fact, in, and it shows you how he's turned this around. In 2022, over 75% of university educated uh, Republicans said they wanted someone other than Trump to run. Mm. This year, 60% of university educated want Trump to win. Really? That's a huge turnaround. This is extraordinary, isn't it? And you wouldn't, you simply would not have credited it, would you? I mean, you wouldn't expect things yeah. to happen. But I have to say, by the way, before we talk about that, is that um, apparently the tenor of Trump's speech in Iowa was, was quite conciliatory. I mean, for example, he didn't go into the whole, you know, look at me, I'm one big winner and you're mm. all losers type yeah. of thing. It was very much, you know, you did well. I think he said you did well. It might be the uh, that terrible kind of magnanimous you get when someone knows that they've absolutely just trounced you, you know. But because I think he's uh, he's fifty one percent vote was like more than all of them put together. Oh yeah, but then, of course the thing is they've avoided attacking him because they know if mm. they attack him. He's going to come down like a ton of bricks on them mm. and destroy their reputation. And also they will turn off future uh, voters in the Republican Party. So, of course, there's, there's no, you know, he's got every reason to be magnanimous because he knows that they're not a threat. It's when people are a threat to him that he comes out barking. I think, you know, it's interesting how reputations go up and down. Now, this guy, um, Vivek Ramaswamy, now to me looks like a real kind of cheap spiv. Isn't it funny? I liked, I liked him originally, mm. but now I look at him as, you know, when he was turning around, obviously saying, I'm going to withdraw and, you know, we only want, you know, and I just, he's fast talking. A lot of it is so fast, it's because it doesn't stand up to much analysis, you know, so I've kind of changed on him a lot. DeSantis now is seen as being kind of a total kind of, well, sort of also ran, or literally also ran, isn't mm, it? Yeah. I think, yeah, it's... I it, liked him, though, actually. Yeah, so. I like I liked DeSantis. Um, he just had... He didn't have a very good start to his election, to his campaign, and, um, yeah, he has been a bit of a, a bit of a letdown, because I, mm. I thought during the lockdown in Florida, he was, like, he was amazing. I thought he was... I was really... We wanted him to be president. I was like... <laughs> yes, but apparently in Florida, Florida now... It maybe turned on him a little bit, I think. Well, but it's just... Uh, you know, it's booming, and uh, Nigel was is out there at the moment, and he was saying, you know, it's absolutely booming. Uh, it's an optimistic place. This is, like, you know, it's fought off woke. It's, it's all of these things. Really, not enough. Well, he shouldn't have run against Trump. I mean, everyone mm. knew that he was Trump without Trump's personality def deficits. Mm. And if he had simply waited another four years and run at the next election when Trump couldn't run, I think, he, and he probably would have had Trump's endorsement perhaps mm. um, as, his, as the preferred candidate. So I think that was a huge mistake. And, you know, I think Vivek's quite clever to, be, to, to withdraw when he did because he may be expecting to get some appointment if yeah, Trump get, yeah, comes yeah. into election. And of course, that's great news for Trump too, because all of Vivek's supporters are actually have Trump down as their second choice. And so he's going to have another, he, I think Vivek got 8% of the vote. So that vote's going to be transferred in future, in future uh, votes. I, w I wonder actually, probably uh, Ramaswamy's vote is, or support is quite young. I don't know, it's a hunch. 
because he's a young, he's a tech guy, isn't he? He's a tech mm-hmm. billionaire, is he a billionaire? Or I think so, not sure. Or whatever it is. Or we're getting into the trillionaire situation, apparently, yeah, now. It, 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 Trillionaires yeah. are a thing, right. you know. Um, Who speak, wants to be a trillionaire? Yes, exactly. <laughs> I don't. Um, this whole point about young college kids going for Trump, which is quite extraordinary. I also uh, read something uh, this week, uh, which was basically saying that this idea that the young people, which we've talked about a lot, haven't we, are automatically left-wing, uh, that this is, this is not true and whatever. You, I know, Rafe, have talked a lot about the fact that actually they say, oh, young people get more right-wing as they get older, but this is not happening. I mean, wouldn't you say that, say, maybe what's happened with Trump and the support that we've seen, Maybe does that give the lie to that a bit, or what? No, not, not, not in the slightest, actually. What we have, you have three different things going on. We have, in the Anglosphere, particularly in, in Britain and America, we have the most left-wing youth in recorded history. Mm-hmm. We have never had youth on a huge range of policy issues. They have left-wing youth, and they are not becoming more conservative as they get older for a variety of reasons, primarily because capitalism has failed them. They can't get on the property ladder. They're still living at home with their parents. They can't get a decent job with security and promotion or a pension. Uh, so you've got, you've got that aspect. Then you have Western Europe, which it, where the youth are right-wing and the national... And, and, but, well, the youth, the youth of Western Europe are both right-wing and left-wing. What the thing that unites them is they're anti-democratic. They don't believe in the mainstream parties. And in an amazing poll, 61% or so of them believe that uh, a strong leader is preferred to, a, to democracy. They're not that concerned about democracy. So whether they choose to become radicalized on the left or the right is another issue. But all of the main nationalist parties on the right in Western Europe are fueled by youth. And they've got youth, young leaders. And they've been very successful at marketing themselves towards the youth. Then you get to Eastern Europe, which is very interesting because there you actually have a very strong left-wing youth dynamic, mm-hmm. which is, and there's all reasons for this. In, in, in Western Europe, the youth there uh, view the European Union in a very different light to the way that the youth here view it. They view the, the EU being the harsh people who imposed draconian policies on Greece and on Italy, etc., part of globalization. Uh, all the things that you know, people in, in Britain you know, think of, of the EU as being a, a, you know, a, go- a golden sort of goose, people in Europe have just the opposite view to that. Whereas in Eastern Europe, they have a more positive view of the European Union, and they view their parties as basically being sort of proto-fascists. Mm-hmm. And so there's a rebellion against that. So there are three different sorts of things going on with the youth of the West. Is it quite a... Could it, I mean, is that anything to do, surely, with the communist heritage? Oh, yes. Yeah. No, I mean amongst the, the young people. Well, it's, it's, it's a fact that they, they, they feel that there is, the European Union has given them the mm. prosperity after mm. the communist era. Mm. And, they, and that's basically, it's been a Western European approach that has given them the freedoms and the quality of life. You know, Poland is going to surpass the UK's GDP in 2030, apparently. Mm. This prosperity has come through EU membership. So the youth of, of Eastern Europe have a very different idea about the EU, for example, and globalization than Western Europe, where you have super high unemployment rates in Spain, Italy. Mm. You know, the <clears throat> Golden Dawn in Greece um, is the majority party amongst youth in there, uh, which is really uh, they in, are uh, the outright kind of fascists. And so, and so, it's very, very different dynamics wherever you go. And of course, particularly in Southern Europe, they have they have been the main. Uh, repositories of the vast numbers of immigrants coming from North Africa and elsewhere. So it's also a rebellion against that. I, I mean, do, do you not find that 
young people that you, when I say young, what are we talking about here? Under 30 or even like under 25? I just, they all seem to think roughly the same, the ones at least that I come across. Or should I say not in my life, because I'm surrounded by, you know, these extremely bright, young, uh, you know, right-wing people or conservative people, whatever, really quite, actually quite radical, you know, far more than we were in, in many ways. But I mean, as a rule, to me, they all just seem to be what I would call kind of soft liberal, fashionable liberal. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, because they've got more access to social media and different opinions than ever before. You know, I was thinking when I grew up and went to secondary school and university, all I really got was kind of a left wing. That was just the default assumption. And I was never exposed to any conservative ideas. And I think now if I had had, you know, my phone and TikTok and YouTube, I, you come across kind of Ben Shapiro quite quickly. And you do hear about, yes. you know, 12 year olds quoting Ben Shapiro. And you think that never would have happened, <laughs> no, you know, no, no. you know, 10 years ago or something. So I think there is there's some there is some hope in that it's it's harder to control the narrative. So I think young people are being exposed, are able to be exposed mm, to different mm. ideas, which I think is positive. But the downside of that is that people people also can get into echo chambers very quickly. Mm. So they just keep getting this. The algorithm keeps feeding them the same thing. And they can, as you say, become very radical in either direction. Mm. And they don't realise they've become mm. quite radical because they're not getting exposure to a, a broader... It's very much on the internet. It's not on, with people. It's, well, no, know. but also they just don't watch the news. Well, yes. Simple. Yeah. I mean, no, very few young people watch television of any mm. sort, you know. But I, nevertheless, I mean, I just wonder what it would be, what it would take if there could be something or some trend that happened that changed our outlook about this. I, you know, actually, we would never have foreseen that happening. Just like we wouldn't have foreseen college kids supporting Trump. I don't know what it would well, be. Well, I mean, it need, well, basically, I mean, ma mainstream political parties need to learn the lessons of how successful these new parties have been in mm. Europe in the way that they've appealed to youth deliberately. You know, they, they hold, you know, social events for them. They, they have very young candidates, you know, in mm. Denmark and elsewhere, people are in their 20s standing for election. And these people are very gifted, you know, whereas we suggest them to bring out the old war horses who don't appeal to youth demographic. You just look at our parliament, how old it is compared to, uh, you know, the, 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 the youth of the future who we need mm. to actually change. But the key thing in this country is to separate forever, to sever the link between this blind devotion to free market capitalism at all costs and the right, because in Europe, you don't get that. Yeah, so yeah, the, there's still yeah. market-based economies, but there's not this libertarian free markets, you know, buc buccaneers that we have over here. That's what puts off so many youth of today. Think that that's one of the reasons for the failure of their of their life chances. And if there could be a party here, much like the SDP, who are actually going to actually offer a more of a social democratic Nordic model, but still with those right wing policies, that's how you that's how you bring about a solution to having a any chance of a right wing revival over here. There you go. Well, there we are. So it's, it's a challenge for you, yeah. isn't it? It's a challenge. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of which, before we close. Um, it's, there have been a little, a few little flickers of rumour, you know, uh, amongst the political, you know, the Westminster bubble, that there might even be a Tory leadership <laughs> race, if you can imagine, uh, you know, uh, before the, uh, obviously there's going to be one after, but before the election. <clears throat> and I was just looking, thinking, well, who the hell would be standing if that were the case? I mean, you know, I mean, First of all, you, it's like an act of complete desperation, wouldn't it be? Mm. I mean, you know, they're, being, they're pretty desperate as it sounds. This is all on the back of this big uh, uh, survey that was done um, in the Telegraph 
and it was, and Lord Frost then commented uh, extensively on it. But it was basically saying Tories wipeout, you know, that you might as well do something drastic. So you know, up comes the leadership idea. I mean, I mean, it was pretty thin gruel, wasn't it, last time round when they were terrible. Was the trust these people? Who would actually stand even? Who? <laughs> Who could you go and kind of strong arm into standing for the leadership of the Tory party? Well, this is going to be the biggest defeat since or, 1997. So yeah. I said, bring, bring back John Major, put him in there. <laughs> and we can, have, we can all laugh at <coughs> Groundhog Day repeating itself and give the man another good thrashing, which he deserves. Is there anybody, you know, that you look at and think, well, I wouldn't vote for them, but I can understand how they'd be quite a good leader? Not too many. I mean, maybe Kemi. I mean, that's the only person that comes to mind, it's, although uh, she lacks the experience. But I mean, yeah. it's rather like being asked to be captain of a sinking ship. It's just, <laughs> you know, why would you? It says something about the person that they would want to, you yes, know. And um, yes. yeah, I was looking through some of the kind of Tory MPs at the moment, and there, so many of them I'd never even heard of. And that is even so, such a dearth of talent. There really yes. is more so than ever. There used so. to be back, back in, you know. Well, I suppose it ended pretty much in the 80s, early 90s. But there used to be this kind of, um, you know, this section of MPs. Never quite were like the top thing, but they were always really good and reliable. People like Julian Amory and, well, even Alan Carr. They were sort of high quality, but lower rungs. But, you know, serious people. <coughs> they seem to have pretty much gone. Anyway, answers on the postcard, please. Who would you like to see? as their next Tory party leader. The last Tory party leader. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> the, last, the next and the last one. Anyway, we can but hope. Thanks very, very much indeed, Amy. And thank you very much. And uh, we shall see you next time. Please don't forget those two dates, will you? See you, Kim. Bye. Hello. If you're enjoying the New Culture Forum channel and you believe in our mission, may I invite you to join our membership scheme at the link below or on our website newcultureforum.org.uk. Our work is more important now than ever, and we have great plans ahead for the future, but we can't do it without your support. From as little as £3 per month, you can help ensure that we continue on our mission. As a member, you'll receive a range of benefits, including access to exclusive content, invitations to our private events, including here at our studios, free copies of our books, and much, much more, including, of course, our famous NCF mug. If you aren't able to become a member, then please help us by clicking this button and subscribing to our channel. It's completely free. Just remember to also click the bell icon so that you can get notifications when we post new videos. Thank you. Thank you.